If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Enrico Senioretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They are about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome everybody, this is Voices in Data Storage brought to you by Gigaohm. I'm your host, Enrico Signoretti, and my guest for this episode is Adrian Herrera. He is VP of Marketing at Caringo, a leading solution provider in object storage space. Hi, Adrian. How are you today? Great, Enrico. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for your time. Uh, uh, this is the first episode, actually, of uh, Gigaum Voices in Data Storage, so I'm quite uh, excited, I would say. And for this episode, I wanted you in because uh, I, I want uh, to talk about the evolution of uh, object storage in the last uh, 12-18 months. And we will also take some time to, to talk a little bit about uh, the latest version of uh, Swarm, your solution. As I said, uh, Caringo is a, a market leader in uh, object storage. Today, I was thinking a little bit about um, the evolution of object storage in the last, uh, as I said, um, here, here and the half. And I saw like a race. Okay, I'm, I spotted this race, more cloud, more performance. And also a, a huge growth in the market. So more customer with several use cases that were unthinkable a couple of years ago. What do you see in the market from the Caringo perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with all the points you pointed out. And, and we've certainly been around a while. We, we, we've seen a lot of trends. And every year we think it's a year for object storage to finally take off. And, and I will say uh, this year, I really think it is because of, of what you just pointed out. Um, so starting with cloud, you know, what we see as the ideal use case um, beyond the hype, we, we kind of see like a real use case and then, and then a use case that's getting a lot of hype right now. And the real use case we see is utilizing the cloud for your cold copies or um, to satisfy some offsite requirement. Uh, because you can select any number of data centers anywhere around the globe and satisfy your offsite requirements. Um, have your cold archive, your cold copy, you know, somewhere where it's easily accessible. Um, and, and then the, the use case we're seeing that's getting a lot of hype right now is to utilize some of the cloud computing features uh, like, you know, transcoding or some sort of artificial intelligence analysis, machine learning, that kind of thing, you know, analyzing images, um, you know, analyzing video footage. You know, we, we see a lot of potential in those use cases, and we think eventually uh, there will be a lot of, of organizations uh, leveraging uh, the, the cloud for those specific use cases. But today we, we only see a, a few uh, organizations, at least a few of our customers doing that. The vast majority of cloud use cases are, are using a cloud for, for offsite or disaster recovery. I have to say that uh, also in my experience, it's... Um very easy now to have uh, uh, an on-premises object store that uh, somehow replicates data to the cloud. So you don't have to uh, buy a second object store on a secondary data center, especially for a small and medium-sized company without a secondary data center. Uh, also because you pay only dollar per gigabyte, which is very low for these uh, cloud providers because it's a disaster recovery. So it's a one-way for most of the time, uh, you don't pay egress costs, so it's very, very convenient. Yeah, absolutely. We, we yeah, we, we, we agree with that. It's it, you know the cloud, 
you know, the cloud is always advertised as, as saving money. And it, it, it sure, it saves you money if you don't have existing facilities, like you pointed out. Um, but if you have existing facilities, um, then you should you should maximize the use of, of those resources, your, your data center, your power, your cooling. Uh, you know, sending it up to the cloud, you're going to be paying that. It's going to be hidden in a dollars per gigabyte fee, but you're going to be paying for it in perpetuity forever. And those those costs compound. And as you mentioned, uh, egress fees are, are also um, you know something that organizations have a very hard time predicting and forecasting. I, I don't think they really have a good handle for how much data they, they actually access and and how uh, cloud services charge. Like for instance, if you're trying to find a, a single file in a few hundred terabytes, you know how how many calls is that really going to take, and how much is that really going to cost you? No, exactly. Well, part of my work now at Gigaom is uh, around the research on uh, alternatives to Amazon S3. Okay, yeah. just because. Uh, it's unpredictable. Okay, when it's really tough, uh, not just to, you know, uh, not, not that they are not clear on the costs. It's just that it's impossible for you to have uh, uh, it clear because when you start with an application, you don't know the success of the application, you don't know the data growth. You can do some analysis, but actually, uh, only you know when you are in production, you get the real numbers. So sometimes it's really really tough. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I think I think Amazon and Microsoft and Google have done a tremendous job and a service to, to everyone in the IT industry with what they've been able to do. There's a huge capital investment um, and infrastructure investment that that you know not many organizations can can do. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I see or we see the value. A lot of the value in cloud is on the compute side it, on 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 storage. Uh, you know, you you can forecast capacity usage and and be able to plan effectively to keep everything on on premises. And you kind of mentioned on premises, and that's that's really our focus. Even though we do do tiering to the cloud and migration to the cloud, our focus is always going to be on you know developing the the best on premises uh, object store or, or scale out storage platform you know, possible. Yeah, and also to your point. Some customers are understanding that it's better to have a copy on the premises and move data only when they need to do or sync data accordingly to their, to their compute needs. So maybe they have uh, some data set that they want to move to the cloud for a big data application, get the results, and uh, you know delete everything, including the data, not just the instances. Yeah, it's interesting. I was with one of our partners uh, in the media and entertainment space last week, and and I was talking to um, to a lot of their guys who are who are experts on on the production side, and and I we always thought that the cloud was great for transcoding. You know, it's like send up all your all your projects and into the cloud, and and go ahead and transcode them, and then send them back. And you know, they they sat me down. They said, hey, you know, Adrian, this this isn't that realistic of a use case because moving that large of a data set in and out of the cloud as efficiently as, you know, post-production houses and studios need it is, is just, you know, it, it is impractical. Uh, so, but they did, they did mention now rendering when you're dealing with, uh, you know, mathematical equations and you're, you're dealing with putting frames together, you know, sending those calculations up into the cloud uh, is, is extremely reasonable and, and very practical. And, you know, so, so I think the market, you know, still has a, a lot of, um, th there's a, still a lot of education that needs to be done. And that, that's why I classified the compute side as hype. 
and this need of performance, okay, that uh, that somehow c- comes from the cloud, but actually it's a pattern that I see also on the premises. So that there are more and more application needing, uh, for example, smaller file, especially in the IoT space, and these object stores are becoming more and more efficient. Now it's way easier to find uh, uh, object storage vendors talking about performance. Mm-hmm. A few years ago was all about, you know, ah, we, we give you the best dollar per gigabyte, we give you durability, we give you scalability, but, you know, performance was always off the table. And and the reason, the reason I think that there had to be a, a, a change in the discussion and performance, you know, a few years ago, everyone was still talking IOPS, um, you know, your traditional speeds and feeds in the storage world. Uh, now, I think organizations are a lot more comfortable talking throughput. Um, and, and that, that's really where, where object storage comes in. Um, you know, the, what, what we, what we like to say here at Caringo is, you know, there, there, there's a time and a place for all storage tiers. You know, there, there's a time and a place for, for tier zero all the way through your archival tier. Um, we, we think you need to select the right storage and the performance characteristics based upon your business requirements. You know, that, that being said, you know, not, not all or object stores are created equally. Uh, so you really need to take a look at what your requirements are, what your use case is, the hardware that's running it, and you need to test everything out within your environment. And one thing that we like to point out is you, you really need to take a look at the architecture that different vendors are putting in place. Um, you know, for instance, a, a, lot in, a lot of vendors in the object storage space are using some sort of front side cache. And, you know, and then their object store, you know, behind the scenes. And a lot of times when they're measuring performance, they're just measuring the right to that cache and not the complete right all the way to the object store. Yeah. Uh, at, at Caringo, you know, we take a pure object storage approach. We don't have a front side cache. So whenever you see performance figures from us, it's riding all the way down to the object store. And, and you know, I just, I just like to point that out, you know, we we do have some some pretty um, uh, impressive figures, uh, performance figures that that we recently got in a very large deployment. Um, one is is thirty five gigabytes per second read S three throughput. Um, that's on aggregate in in a very fast uh, network. I mean, to put that in perspective, that that's that's you know close to to parallel file system uh, read throughput on one end, and it's also um, you know, as fast as some uh, kind of near line options like like NVMe. That being said, you know, we're we're not replacing either of those solutions. There's a time and a place for both of those. Well, actually, when I think about performance in the object store, I also think about the fact that uh, a few years ago, object store was only put, get, delete. Okay, now we have tons of metadata and metadata searches. Okay, all these integration that are popping up now, but you you had one of the first integration with Elastic, for example. But yeah. but uh, the idea of integrating okay external elements that are particularly fast in searching uh, huge amounts of data, uh, mm-hmm. meaning getting your answer immediately. It's not that uh, uh, archiving workload anymore. But even if you store pictures, you want to access them because sometimes you want a collection of this picture that has a similar characteristic, and you want them immediately. That's exactly it. I, I think, you know, the, the conversation with, with object storage 
initially always went to archive use cases. And, and what we're seeing now is, you know, it's almost like archive or active archive needs to be redefined as, as online. I mean, object storage is really online storage. I would, I would classify tape more as, as archive now, um, you know, archive, cold archive. Uh, but, you know, there, there are a lot of use cases now in, in, in this new on-demand world uh, and, and distributed workforce world where your content always needs to remain online and accessible. Uh, it, it, it's no longer acceptable to keep your primary uh, archive copy on tape. It just takes too long to recall. There's too many uh, manual processes to, to call back that information. Uh, it needs to really remain instantly accessible and searchable. Um, and as you, you mentioned, not, not, just, not just by the object store, but by an ecosystem like, like the Elk stack, you know, uh, Elasticsearch, Logstash, and Kibana. You know, that, that way you, you plug into, you know, visualization applications, um, you know, computing uh, applications. You know, so so we, we are believers in that approach. When you talk about performance, you need more performance because you have more application insisting on the object store. So again, at the beginning was just archiving. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you as many others started with the partners and customer asking just for repositories, maybe large repository, but that's uh, one application accessing uh, the object store. Now we have so many S3 compatible application uh, working at the same time on the object store that... Uh, it's really important to get uh, performance out of the system. Yeah, absolutely. We we agree with that, and I think one of one of the the biggest misnomers for for object storage is is the fact that it it just has storage in its name. You know what 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 most people don't realize is you know when you talk about object storage solutions, there is an integrated web server. You know there's integrated load balancing. A lot of the times there's integrated tenant management. There's integrated content management. You know th these are all things that aren't necessarily present in different tiers of storage. I have to say that I I totally agree because I started to refer as object storage as an infrastructure and not a system. So. You, you find a very often object storage system. I, I always talk about object storage infrastructure. So you find me very aligned with the, your way of thinking here. Yeah. And, and what it really is, it's, it's a private cloud. And, and it's, it's like standing up your own Amazon S3 within your data center. And because of that, you, know, you start to think, okay, what, what's going on uh, underneath the scenes because of performance requirements to, to satisfy what's going on? Yeah, you mentioned a lot of applications, but it's about the efficient movement of data throughout the entire infrastructure. And, and that's why throughput is and aggregate throughput is so important because you're moving very large data sets around for analysis or to different tenants, um, or you know, you're using uh, some sort of parallel upload to ingest data in, in a very rapid way and also distribute data in a very rapid way. And, and you know, a few examples of that, Again, M&E examples, media and entertainment examples, we have service providers uh, who need to utilize their bandwidth um, to, to every bit possible because that's how they make money. They make money by, by bringing projects in, uh, working on them on tier zero storage, and then they need to bring them back um, you know, to the object store and distribute them in a very efficient way, again, utilizing um, the maximum bandwidth as possible uh, that's available to them. 
So it's it's really, you know, object storage has kind of shifted, at least from, from our perspective, from a capacity and scale perspective now to the efficient utilization of resources. And a lot of the times that's a network. And also, I think that the huge growth in, uh, in adoption from end users, it's also led from, from the fact that there are more solutions now. So it's easier to think about object storage as a, as a possible target for many applications now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this may segue us into the, to the, next, to the next discussion. But it, you know, again, this is where Amazon, I think, has done the, the, the whole industry a, a, a great service. Um, because a lot of organizations, a lot of applications, a lot of storage solutions are now leveraging the Amazon S3 API. And you know what, what that's done is it's unlocked a whole ecosystem uh, for organizations to utilize uh, different types of, of storage. And um, you know we're, we're seeing that wide adoption. And I think a lot of object storage vendors, you know what, what we've done, what we've all done, is um, you know come out with our own uh, interfaces for for POSIX compliant file systems. So I think we all have our solutions for SMB and NFS, and I think we're all going to continue to to innovate there. And it's just about making the transition to object storage and new RESTful workflows as seamless and as easy as possible for organizations. That, that's a good introduction, maybe for what you are doing with uh, with the, the option on top of uh, your object store. So. At the beginning, I mentioned that you have a new version of your object store, but actually, I'm uh, I'm quite uh, impressed from uh, from a couple of options that you already mentioned somehow that are Firefly and Swarm FS, both from the performance point of view, but also from the features. I don't know if you want to introduce them a little bit just to uh, give the listeners uh, an idea of what they do. Yeah, definitely. First, I'll level set, you know, Swarm is our core object store. So that, that's what we call our core object store. Um, about two years ago, we came out with a product called Swarm NFS. And what Swarm NFS is, it's, it's scalable object NFS for sustained data streaming. So let me say that in layman's terms. It's, it's a way to go from the POSIX world, NFS world, uh, and, and stream data into the object world, into Swarm, in a, in a sustained uh, way. So th- this is, this, we're not using any sort of file system emulation, which a lot of uh, other organizations do. You know, they use Samba, they use Fuse. Um, those solutions are, are, are great to a point, but they don't really scale well, and they, and they create, um, you know, namespace silos. What, what Swarm NFS is doing, it's actually converting uh, data on the fly from NFS to object. And you mentioned performance before. Uh, in, in a recent deployment, we were actually able to get 1.6 gigabytes per second of sustained streaming. Um, this is without cache, without spool. This is sustained streaming uh, to, to the object store. And this is a single instance. Uh, again, this is, this is a stateless converter. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, if your Swarm NFS instance goes down, it doesn't matter. Spin up another one. You need more than one, 1.6 gigabytes per second, add, add another instance. And this is you know, some of the value that we bring as Coringo, utilizing the underlying parallel infrastructure where all core object storage nodes do the same thing. You know, that underlying architecture can support this, time, this type of ingest. And, and if, you, if you extrapolate that 1.6 gigabytes per second, that's over three petabytes per month of data transfer into the object store uh, per instance, per yeah. single instance. Quite impressive. 
But Firefly is a different story, right? It's not a, only about performance. Yeah, Firefly, again, um, just to make it easier to understand, it's, it's more similar to HSM. So, and, and we're, we're targeting Windows filers and NetApp filers. And what you can do, your data on the Windows and NetApp filers, you're able to migrate to Swarm based upon policies. And, and you base the policies based on any sort of file system attribute that you have on Windows or your NetApp. Uh, so, you know, file size, file type, owner, last access, that kind of thing. You can move uh, that data and leave a stub in the file system. And, you know, with this latest release, Filefly 3.0, well, historically, you could only do that to Swarm. But with this, this latest release, uh, you can now do it to Amazon S3. Uh, you could do it to Google. You can do it to, uh, you know, Azure. Uh, so, so now you can take your data from your Windows or NetApp filers and send it to any major cloud or Swarm. There's no longer dependency on Swarm. That's really nice. So it opens a lot of possibilities for, for your customers, of course. It does. And Filefly is actually an application that runs on Windows Server. So let's say you have your data up in the cloud. And for some reason, your, your main uh, you know, Filefly server went down. Well, you can actually run, spin up an image in the cloud uh, with the Windows server and install Filefly up there and rebuild everything. Uh, so it's, it's, it's resilient in that way. And, and that's, we, that's, that's our kind of vision for, uh, you know, disaster recovery and, and, um, and the cold copies that, that we, we spoke about earlier. But you also had a, an announcement about hardware this time, not just software, right? Uh, yes, yes, we did. And we're, we're really excited about this. Again, when, when object storage came out, the initial conversations are always in petabytes. You know, every, everyone's talking about how many petabytes do you have, or we could scale to, uh, you know, I think I heard zettabytes at one point, you know, this is huge, uh, unimaginable scale. And the truth is most organizations don't have petabytes of data, only, only a few if you take a look at all the organizations out there. Um, and, and a lot of times you talk to object storage vendors and they say, well, okay, okay. The initial deployment is, you know, you need four servers, um, you know, and, and these are what the, these servers need to do. And this is how you start with it. And it could scale to hundreds of petabytes. And that's, that's just a non-starter for the vast majority of organizations out there. So we took a look and said, okay, well, what can we do to solve this? And again, because of the uniqueness of our architecture, how we don't rely on cash and we don't rely on metadata databases and, and other things that other solutions have, we're able to put our entire software stack in one box. We're calling that the single server appliance. And if you take a look at, at what it is, it is just a single box. It wasn't designed uh, to be compact. It was really designed to offer um, the price performance characteristics needed to have your own private cloud within your organization. Uh, it, it delivers uh, 60 terabytes of usable uh, capacity, uh, 96 terabytes of raw capacity. And it, you know, we're, we're targeting it at very specific use cases in, in the M&E sector. There's a lot of um, you know, post-production houses and, and small to medium use cases, yeah. um, remote offices. Uh, so, so if you do want to have um, your, your archive data and S3 accessible data, uh, in, in a remote office, you can go ahead and, and stand one of these up. They're very easy to, to expand. You just, you know, 
plug them in together and make sure they can see each other on the network. And, you know, you increase um, both the, the compute, um, the, the compute resources and, and also capacity. Um, but you also get everything we spoke about earlier. There, there's integrated content management. There's integrated tenant management. Um, you know, there's the ability to share files uh, via a URL in a public or private way. And one, one um, product that we have that, that wasn't part of, of the Swarm 10 launch was Coringo Drive. Um, but Coringo Drive just installs on any uh, Windows PC or Mac OS, mm -hmm. and it allows you to mount uh, Swarm as a regular drive. So, so with that, you, know, you can drag and drop files from you know, laptops or PCs uh, to you know this this you know single server appliance, which is your on-premise private cloud, and um, you know everything's included in a box. Ah, oh, this is really nice, especially because for this kind of a customer, probably uh, also the cloud tiering is a good option for disaster recovery instead of having another data center or another location. So if you get the full Swarm 10 uh, in, in this box, that's a really nice uh, solution. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and it's again you don't you don't have the normal um, barriers to entry that you do with with other object stores. A lot of the times, it's you know, you it's software based. All vendors are software based, so you know you have to talk about software, then you have to talk about hardware, and you know you you have to go and procure the hardware, and then you know find some time to install the software and. You know, there, there's a lot of it's, it's a lot of processes that yeah, you have to go through to to evaluate uh, most object storage solutions. With this, you just you plug in a box. Everything's pre-installed. Everything's pre-configured. Um, you plug in the box, and off you go. It is very cool indeed. But um, do you have any link if uh, our uh, listeners want to learn more about uh, Karinko Swarm 10 or this uh, single service Swarm solution? Yeah, absolutely. They, they can go to our website, caringo.com, C-A-R-I-N-G-O.com. Uh, everything is, is advertised on our homepage. It's very easy to find. I do, I do recommend going to our resource section and, and um, signing up for our webinars or, or uh, viewing our, our library of webinars. We spend a lot of time uh, on our webinars. We get a lot of our, our technologists, our developers um, doing webinars. We have a great series called Tech Tuesday. And every one Tuesday of every month, um, we do a deep dive on specific uh, parts of object storage technology, uh, stuff like, you know, how to evaluate hardware. Um, we had one about how to migrate data. Uh, just this week, we had one that, that goes into how, how you run object storage on a single server. Uh, so, so that's something I, I would also like to point out. And of course, everyone can always follow us on, on Twitter um, and you can follow us at, at Coringo Storage. That's great. Adrian, thank you again for your time today, and um, I hope to keep the conversation going in the future. Likewise, Enrico and Gigom, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.